Well everybody, what's the crack? And welcome back to episode number 7 of the Inline G Flute Podcast with me, your host, motherfucking Inline G. It's great to be back guys, episode number 7. Firstly, I want to say a huge thank you for last week's episode. There was a great reception to it, that was episode number 6, Music College Culture. Last week's episode was an unusually serious and heavy topic for this kind of podcast. Today's episode is going to be somewhere between last week's heaviness and seriousness and the usual light-hearted and fun nature of this podcast. It's a serious topic and it's a sensitive topic we're going to be tackling today, but I've thrown in a couple of funny stories, some great anecdotes, and I've got a game show later that I designed that might be the worst fucking idea I've ever had in my entire life. But we're going to find out. So today's episode is going to be talking about female flute players. So listen, again, like last week, this is a topic that has been brewing around in the back of my brain. It's been stewing and bubbling away for years now. It sits right at the back of my brain, just alongside Frank Lampard's 211 goals for Chelsea and the entire back catalogue of lyrics for Natasha Bedingfield. So it's back there, it's bubbling away. But now, I've got the medium of my own podcast, so I can get this information out there. I might even have to start a new podcast to talk about Natasha Bedingfield. That's a joke. But, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, the line, read some Byron, Shelley and Keats recited it over a hip-hop beat. Man, that is fucking wordsmithery. Wordsmithery of the highest level. I might start that podcast. But anyway, that's not for today. We're on to another one. Jesus Christ, we're a minute and 48 seconds and I'm talking bollocks already. So, yeah, like last week's episode, I consumed a piece of media recently that opened this box up for me. It opened the box up and today I'm going to turn the box upside down and going to give it a good fucking shake and we're going to see what falls out. So last week's episode was talking about the article in the Evening Standard and how that sort of got me thinking again and brought up all these thoughts. This week's piece of media was actually not a newspaper article, it was the Barbie movie. So I went and seen the Barbie movie last week. It was fucking brilliant. It was absolutely fucking amazing. I really enjoyed it. And it kind of reminded me of my appreciation I have for women and where that came from and how that's changed a lot in the last sort of eight years. And yeah, again, it's a topic that rattles around the back of my brain. It needs to come out now. So today's the day where we're going to get it. We're going to start it. This is a very big topic and we're just going to scratch the surface today, but we'll get going. So today we are going to talk about a few different things. We're going to start with my own experience of women in flute or women in classical music, women I know directly and how I've related to them and interacted with them and how it's changed my thinking. We're then going to move into the first female flute players in orchestras and it will be the first ever game show here on the Inline G Flute Podcast, which may be some very, very poor judgment on my part, but we're going to find out. Uh, then we're going to talk about one of the success stories in the current orchestral world for female flute players and then I'm going to be rounding it all up as usual by giving you guys a list or a selection of some of my favourite female flute players, the best recordings to find and where to go find them. It'll be a little bit shorter this week, I won't play the stuff for you, it'll just be me telling you about it, some kick-ass women that are in the flute world at the minute that you should go and listen to. Hopefully by the end of this podcast you'll inspire, you'll feel inspired to go and do that. Girl fucking power now. As for this week's drink, oh I haven't even opened it yet. We have another Dr Pepper. We are on the Dr Pepper vanilla float flavour. That just tastes like Dr. Pepper. Oh no! 
Ooh, there's a wee, there's a wee something coming in the back door there. When everyone else is in, someone's sneaking in the back door. Oh, that is lovely. Yeah, so the drinks kind of became a feature of this podcast. And a lot of guys have been asking me about it. So, I'll be doing a little bit of housekeeping at the start of every episode now. You can now buy me a drink. The Inline G Flu podcast is free. It will always be free. I will never introduce a subscription service where people who pay will get more than the people who don't. Everyone who watches this podcast will get the same content forever, no matter of how much money you donate. Um, so there won't be a subscription service. But what I have done is, if you check out the link in the video for this, or, sorry, not the link, the description, there is a link in the video. It should be on Spotify too. If you can't find that, go to my Instagram page and click the link in the bio. Same for my Facebook page. In there, you will find an option to buy me a drink. It's also on my website. In there, you can go and donate a few quid to the cause. It sounds like I'm in the IRA there. But it's essentially, if you want to buy me a pint or a Dr. Pepper, if you thought, you know what, I love Gareth's podcast. If I saw him out in the street, or if I saw him in a pub, I'd buy him a pint or I'd buy him a Dr. Pepper because he likes that. And that's I'm happy with the content I get. He deserves that. Well, now you can. So you can go and donate a few quid. The price of a Dr. Pepper these days, it's about three euro, three dollars or three pounds. So there's a PayPal link in there. Go donate that. If you can't afford it, doesn't matter. You come and listen for free anyway. This is purely if you want to show a little bit of appreciation to the podcast and help keep the fucking lights on around this place. These Dr. Peppers and the lights don't pay for themselves. I'm telling you that. And it also gives me a little more time to write scripts. If I know I'm getting some kind of income off this, I can dedicate a little bit more time to it and not have to worry about taking up extra shifts or extra students, etc, etc. So it's there if you want to. If you don't want to, tell me to go fuck myself. I don't care. Well, I do care, but... Thank you for listening anyway, that's the most important thing. So anyway, we've got that out of the way. We're going to get into this big episode. So in the words of my personal hero, Shania Twain, let's go girls. So part one of the podcast is going to be talking about my own experiences with women in classical music. It's just to give you guys a bit of context and to see where I'm coming from and why I'm so interested in this topic. So in terms of my own musical life, to be totally honest, my experience with women in those classical music roles, it was essentially non-existent right up until the age of when I was about 19. When I was 19, I started getting piccolo lessons at the Royal Welsh College of Music when I was doing my bachelor degree with Eva Stewart. But even then, that was fucking seven hours a year I was seeing Eva. It was still minimal, minimal. I had no other female teachers. Um, to be honest, very few female people giving me any kind of musical tuition. That includes conductors, I haven't played master classes that often for women, um, music, chamber music coaches, etc, etc. Everything was, it was all lads, it was all fellas all the time. But that changed big time when I went to Paris. So I went to Paris when I was 22, eight years ago, which was 2015. And then when I arrived there at the École Normale, all my teachers were female. Every single one of them. So I had Kathleen Conton, she was my flute professor. I had Nita Patricek, was my chamber music professor, Madame Marché was my déchiffrage sight reading teacher, Madame Mathay was my solfège teacher, the real solfège, not that weird American thing with the hands and all that shit. Um, and I also got lessons with Magali Mounier on the side. As you guys know, if you've heard this podcast, you know exactly who she is. Um, and that changed my thinking. At 22 years old, to suddenly be introduced to women in positions of mentorship really changed how I thought about everything. So I'm going to talk about some of the differences I find between men and women in the tuition. Now, 
This should go without fucking saying. It's a big disclaimer, but one, these are personal experiences. They're my own experiences and things I noticed in my life. I am not making the claim at any point that these are inherent differences between men and women at any point, okay? Number two, women in general aren't really born with a massive different personality. There is a lot of studies about personality type and difference of personality type between the genders and the sexes. Um, there's small differences at the extreme end, and to be honest, most of it seems to be societal. So it's not inherent in men and women, nothing is. Um, so don't come at me quoting fucking Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro, give me all this bollocks. Jordan Peterson needs beef for breakfast and he loves benzos and Ben Shapiro can't even turn his own wife on. Fuck those lads. If you need a male role model, it's me. Come to me, lads. Come on in. The water's lovely. I'll be your role model. I'll tell you all you want to hear. So anyway, quickly, what did I notice about the difference between having female teachers and male teachers? Um, a couple of quick things. The aesthetic sound of the flute and the role it played in music making changed dramatically. What do I mean by that? Firstly, the sound itself didn't always feel like it was a battle to make a large, resonant, vibrant and brilliant sound. Or, yes, it was those things, but it wasn't to the extreme. It wasn't to be as vibrant as humanly possible or as brilliant as humanly possible. The more subtle sounds of the flute and music making were encouraged, especially technically with the flute. So we're, th- we're talking moments without vibrato. Gentler vowel sounds, smoother transitions between your dynamics. These became more pronounced. And they weren't for effect, that's important to say. So they had genuine music intentions and the ideas constantly evolved from each other as opposed to abrupt stops and new things happening. So what I mean is, if in five bars, one of my teachers wanted me to play it quietly and change the color, they would first of all analyze it in relation to what came before. So is it appropriate to do that musically? And also explore the idea, should we gently go between the two? If it needs an abrupt change between them, we'll do an abrupt change, but we analyze it first. While I felt like with my male teachers, it was always a little bit more abrupt and a little bit more going at it. Now, that could also be because I was making a higher level of music and I was getting into the subtleties of music making. I was a better player, so I don't know. Um, But that's one thing I noticed. Next thing I noticed is all the emotions I was expressing in music or attempting to express didn't have to be so aggressive, but I don't mean aggressive in an aggressive nature. I mean aggressive as in to the extreme of an emotion. So beautiful didn't have to be aggressively beautiful. Wonderful didn't have to be aggressively wonderful. We didn't need to go that far with everything. Um, And I do feel like that's sort of linked to the ego. My female teachers in Paris really felt like a lot of the ego around their musicianship and their own ability was removed, or at least far less obvious. Um, everything seemed to have like this musical intention, the composer's intention, and general music language always coming first before the sound quality. So on the list of priorities, musicianship first, how you play the flute second. Um, so yeah, it seemed to me that women, a great flute technique, women, the women in my life, the great flute technique was only great when it had a purpose within the music, while the men in my life, the great flute technique was almost equally important, if that makes any sense at all. Again, we're generalizing here. I'm generalizing with my own experience. Not saying this makes sense. These are the things I pick up on. Now, yeah, so this is my personal viewpoint, and it also relates to the fact that I grew up with zero female musical influence in my life, and then it all changed suddenly. And you notice these things. You naturally start to pick up on things a lot more when you have a massive change. There could be a million factors to why these changes happen, but the most obvious one is I had no females and then I had only females. That must be it. It's probably one of many factors. Um, 
But then, on that note, if you are a lad, if you're a fella, or if you identify as a male and you're in the same position as I was, where you've only had other male teachers or lads or fellas as mentors, go and get a lesson with a woman. If you can. Don't do it for the sake of doing it, obviously, but go and try and find, I don't know, get a master class or get a few lessons with a female teacher. Do something because you will almost definitely notice something different and you'll probably notice different trends to my own. And that's good because you will notice them. It'll open your thinking up, it will change your perspective and it'll give you a bit of empathy towards women in your life when you put them in different positions. They're not just mothers and sisters and guard friends, they suddenly play mentor roles. And that's really important and it helps you get develop a little bit of empathy for the other half of the population. You know, I remember when I started in Paris, it was around that time that the abortion referendum was happening in Ireland and someone had said something once in a podcast that if you were a fella and you were voting in the abortion referendum, don't vote for yourself because you're not going to be getting an abortion. doesn't really matter to you. But go and ask the nearest woman in your life what she would vote or what she thinks about it and then vote for her. That changed my thinking drastically on women. I was like, yeah, just fucking talk to them and ask them what their experience as a woman is like and see how it changes. And you can do the same with musicians. So I would recommend going and getting a female teacher. And if you do get close to them, ask them what their experience was like trying to climb the classical music world. My teachers in Paris, a lot of these personality traits could be because they are incredibly successful musicians in their fields. They've came through a lot of adversity, as you would as a woman in Paris in the 80s, and the 90s and the early 90s, and it could have developed their, pers- their character. I don't know. that These things could have played a part as well. But it gave me empathy. So I would recommend you get the same thing. So... That's my own personal experience of where this all starts. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this podcast now, and my favourite bit is coming up now. So, part two, the bulk of this podcast is going to be about the first female principal flutes in major symphony orchestras. And then I've got written beside that in my notes, a game show. It was a fucking terrible idea, lads. I don't think I should have done this. I really don't think I should have. But... I'm sticking to my guns now, I've got here. So this was a topic that was actually really hard to research, to find out who the first principal female flutes were in different orchestras around the world or in different countries is difficult to do. I've done a lot of research, mixed with talking to people, online resources, people recommending resources, etc, etc, which I will give you guys at the end. I think I have got the first female principal flutes in 14 different countries. So I got this big list of different countries and who was the first female principal flute to win a job in a major orchestra. And I didn't really know like what format I was going to present this in, like am I going to just read it out as a list? It obviously has a genuinely important academic and social role to play, it's a genuinely important piece of information and I didn't really know what to do with it. And then I thought, I have an idea, why don't... Um, by the way, I should say, I have talked to people about what I'm about to do. And everyone has made it very clear that this is a very bad idea. So I'm really sorry, but I think it's funny as fuck as well. And hopefully it's going to be just the right mixture of fun and seriousness that this podcast is built upon. So on that note, welcome to my brand new game show. How shite was your country at appointing their first female principal flute? <laughs> I need to work on the name. The The title's not as snappy. So what we're going to do is I have 14 countries and we are going to go from the bottom up ranking them in terms of who was first to appoint a female principal flute. So the bottom place will be the country that most recently appointed their first female principal flute and the top country will be the one that first appointed their first female principal flute. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you out the 14 countries are competitors for the game. I'm going to give you a guy a second to pause this podcast and have a little think about who you think is going to win, who's going to come last, who's going to be your top three. So our competitors for today in alphabetical order are Australia, Austria, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, Great Britain, Germany, Holland, Italy, New Zealand, Spain, Switzerland, and the US of A. So pause now, get your guesses in, and when you're ready, we are going to play How Shite Was Your Country at Appointing Their First Female Principal Flute. Here we go, let's start. So we are going to go from 14 to 1. And in 14th place, it's the birthplace of the Nazis, we have Austria, who appointed their first female flute. It's a little bit hard to read this one, but in 2012 was the first female principal flute in an Austrian orchestra. There are two. There is Jasmine Choi, who went to the Vienna Symphony Orchestra, and there is uh, Karen Benelli, who got the job in the Vienna Philharmonic. Now, she's not a principal, she's a second. She got the job in the Vienna Phil in 2012, which was the first woman to play in the orchestra, or the first woman flute player to play in the orchestra. So 2012, in any case, was Austria, and that puts them in rock bottom. No fucking surprises there. Austria not exactly known for being a forward-thinking country. Bad boys. Now, in 13th place, we've got the Viking homeland, Denmark, who, in just 1994, appointed their first female principal flute, and that was the wonderful Ulla Milman, who got the job at the Danish National Radio Symphony Orchestra. That's a surprising one. I think I would have put Denmark higher, am I guessing? Okay, in 12th, we have Australia's neglected ginger stepchild. Fuck, I can't believe I wrote that. Uh, Neglected ginger stepchild of Australia is New Zealand. Well done. So in 1987, New Zealand appointed their first female principal flute and that was Alexa Still in the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. Close by in position 11, we have the home of chocolate and Nazi gold. It's everyone's least favourite country, Switzerland, (laughs) who only appointed their first female principal flute in 1987 in the Zurich Opera and that was Maria Goldschmidt. Now, in 10th place, we have the home of football and King Billy and King Billy's horse. It is the Netherlands. They appointed their first female principal flute also in 1987, and that was Eline von Esch, and she got the job at the Hague Philharmonic, which is called in Dutch the Residenti Orkesten Haag. I hope that was good. By the way, the last three you might have noticed they're all 1987. And I didn't know which one was first exactly, but you know what? It's my fucking game show. This is a this is a dictatorship. This is not a democracy. What I say is what goes. Fuck you guys. Oh man, Dr. Pepper. Um okay. On the number nine, and to be honest, I am surprised if this country finished this high. They are the very center of machoism itself. It is España who appointed their first female principal flute in 1983, and that was Juana Guillem Piqueras, who became the principal flute of the Orquesta Sinfónica Nacionale de la... No, that's the wrong one. Orquesta Nacional de España. Sorry, I'm getting confused with my Spain and my Italy. Well, then you know who's next. Eighth place, we have the Nazis' best mates until they change teams at the very last minute. It is Italia. They appointed their first female principal flute in 1979, it was Monica Berni, and she got the job at the Orquesta Sinfonica Nazionale della RAI. Yeah, it's a radio orchestra, a very good radio orchestra. 
Moving swiftly on to seventh place. It's like Eurovision, isn't it? It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Nul point. Nul point for fucking Austria. 2012 is a disgrace. Um, seventh place. And I genuinely thought they'd be a lot lower in this list. Uh, but they've been too quiet for too long. It is Germany. Deutschland. They got their first female principal flute in 1977. At the fucking, in Bavaria of all places... Who, where it's still illegal to be a woman in general. That was uh, Irina Greifenauer, and she got the job, yeah, 1977 at the Symphony Orchestra des Bayerischen Rundfunk, sorry, um, the Radio Orchestra down in Bavaria, 1977. Now, just missing out on a spot in the top five, in sixth place, we have the old school catcalling is a compliment sexist. We have La France, La France. France got their first female principal flute in just 1972, and that was Genevieve Amère who won the job at the Orchestre Symphonique de Strasbourg. I'm amazed they got into the top five. France fair play them. No, they didn't. They missed out. But the top five does start with another French-speaking part of the world. It's everybody's favourite country to make fun of. It is Canada. In 1969, the legendary Jeannie Backstresser goes to the Orchestre Symphonique de Montréal, the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. Obviously, Backstresser went on to play with... I think she was in the Toronto one. She was certainly with the New York Phil and... yeah, Fucking queen of the flute, man. Queen of the flute. 1969 was when she was in Montreal, though. Next up. In what might be the highest they've ever finished in anything ever in the whole of fucking time, we have the country nobody gives a fuck about. It's Finland. (laughs) They get fourth. They appointed their first female principal flute in 1963, and that was Heidi Indermüller, and she was appointed principal at the Finnish Radio Orchestra. So, now, we're in the top three. Have you got your guesses right? Let me know in the comments who you would have guessed. The last three is going to be between Great Britain, Australia, and the USA. All the Anglo countries. Have you got any guesses? So, in third place, it goes to the home of Brexit, colonialism, and shite weather. It is Great Britain. Surprised they were this high as well. And the first female principal flute in GB was Patricia Linden, and she got the job at the Royal Opera of Covent Garden in 1956. That's good. So, second place. It's like when they used to say who finished second in the charts, because you know who's going to win now when I say second. But in second place, we have the country that I have nothing but positive things to say about. Donald Trump's own USA. USA. We have the US of A. I thought they were going to win this, to be honest, but the first female principal flute in America was the iconic Dorio Anthony Dwyer, and she got the job at the Boston Symphony Orchestra way back in 1952. Which means, yep, you've worked it out. Your surprise winners today, Eurovision's unwelcome competitors, Erner, it's Australia, my... I can't do the accent either. I'm sorry. Stick another shrimp in the barbie. I can't. <laughs> that's a guy who's in Australia but his mum is from India and he did a, ba- uh, a gap year in Barcelona <laughs> and his dad's from Lambic. Uh yeah so Australia win and I think they might have the first ever female principal flute of an orchestra worldwide and that would be a girl called Constance Petters I don't know if it's Petters or Peathers I don't know if she's German descent or not she's brown bread now she's been dead for a long time so can't ask her someone out there will know but she got the job as principal flute in the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra in 1936 when did australia get so forward thinking that is amazing isn't it 
So, that's it, guys. Where else would you get a podcast like this that brings you important academic and historical information presented as a game show while the host is riding sugar a sugar high the size of a fucking mountain? Oh, it's, it's, it's only here. Where else would you get it? You lucky fuckers. Okay. Part three of this podcast is entitled La Révolution Parisienne because... So, actually, initially here, before I tell you why, but um, initially I had a whole crazy section here on sexism and racism in the Vienna Philharmonic and I had, like, some crazy Nazi stories and racist ideology and all this mad shit that went on in Vienna until very recently, but I haven't got enough time to do all that, so that's going to be next week's episode if I can get my shit together for it. If anyone knows any famous Nazi flute players, please let me know. Um, But for now... We're going to skip on to one of the current success stories in female orchestral playing, and that's the current scene in La Belle Paris. What's going on in Paris at the minute? So, I do want to say firstly, this isn't a happily ever after. France does have major issues with sexism, and although it may not be as blatant as it once was, it's very much still there. You know, I live there, I know exactly how sexist France can be. It's almost ingrained in daily culture. Um, the Me Too movement back in the day really hit France. France fucking hard, man. It really hit them. Like, and even when it did, the girl. Uh, like one example of someone coming out against it was Brigitte Baldo, a really famous like old school French actress. She came out and like attacked the Me Too movement. She said, "I've got the quote. Lots of actresses try to play the tease with producers to get a role, and then so we will talk about them. They say they were harassed. I was never the victim of sexual harassment, and I found it charming when men told me that I was beautiful or I had a nice little backside." So France has a bit of a way to go yet on the sexism front, but at least the orchestral scene in Paris is a big improvement. So I'm going to run you guys quickly through the full-time professional orchestras in Paris at the minute. So that does exclude orchestras like the L'Orchestre Padelou and the Orchestre Amoureuse. We're only including full-time salaried orchestras. Um, And we're going to talk about their female membership. So there are six full-time orchestras in Paris at the minute. They are the Orchestre Nationale uh, d'Ile-de-France, L'Orchestre National de France, the Orchestre L'Opéra, the Opera Orchestra, the Orchestre Paris, the Orchestre Chambre de Paris, and the Orchestre Philharmonique de Radio France. So we're going to go through them. This is fucking cool, guys. Really, this is fucking class. I was delighted when I got onto this. Okay, first orchestra, the Orchestre National de Ile de France. They have four full-time flute players employed there. Both principals are female, that is Hélène Girard and Sabine Reynaud. The second flute, Charlotte Bleton, is a woman. And they have a female piccolo player, Nathalie... Uh... Oh, I forgot her name now. Shit, I should have wrote that down. I've met her. Rosenat... Oh, shit, I'm embarrassed about that. But anyway, she's definitely a woman. She's definitely called Natalie, And that means in that orchestra, that is four out of four. All female. Next we go to the Orchestre Nationale de France. Um, there are two co-principals in the orchestra, that is Sylvia Caridou, the incredible Sylvia Caridou, and Josephine Poncelin de Rocard, and they are co-principals, the rest are men, so that gives them a score of two females out of five players there. Next we have the Orchestre Philharmonique de Radio France, two co-principals there, we have Magali Meunier and Martine Calderini, then we also have two piccolo players, which is Anne-Sophie Neves and Justine Caillé. And then we have one second flute, is Michel Rousseau. So that means four out of the five players there are female. Now we have the opera orchestra. The new principal is Iris Davero. 
female. All three second flute players there are female. That's Claude Lefebvre, Céline Nessie, and Isabelle Pierre. And the piccolo is a woman as well. So that is Sabrina Maruffi, which means only the co-principal, Frédéric Chateau, very well-known guy, isn't a woman. So that is five out of six at the opera orchestra. Next, we have the Orchestre de Paris, one of the most well-known ones. Actually, only one of the four flutes there is a female. That's one of the second flute players, Florence Chouchard d'Elépine. And, oh no, yeah, one of the four flute players and the piccolo player is also a woman, Anise Benoit. So that's two out of five for that orchestra. And then lastly, we have the Orchestre de Chambre de Paris, the Paris Chamber Orchestra. Two employed flute players, both female, Marina Chamolegui and uh, Liselotte Schreck. So that is two out of two. Now that brings us... I love numbers, lads. I'm, I'm a fucking fiend for numbers. That brings us to, in total in Paris, men at 27 players, 19, which of, or 19 of which are females, 8 males, which means just over 70% of the salaried flute players in Paris orchestras at the moment are women. So there you are, lads. Women are running the fucking game in Paris, the minute, man. Who run the world? Fucking girls, man. It is rock and roll as fuck. And that... I just thought it was a really cool story that you guys should all know about. So if you go to see an orchestra in Paris, girl power, man, it fucking rocks. That brings us on to the last bit of this podcast. I'm very tired. I've got a big sugar high. Oh, fuck. So I'm going to end the podcast by suggesting a few things for you guys to listen to, to watch, to follow on social media. I made a list. I actually have had this list on my phone for a while of just my favourite flute players, to remind me of who I should be going to listen to. Um, so I went into that list and I took out all the ones that were female and made another list so I could do this part of the podcast. And I have well over 30 players, like active flute players in the world at the minute doing classical music. There's way too fucking many. If you, someone wants that full list, you can contact me, but I can't get through 30 players here at the minute. So I'm going to give you a list of players here, just a few, and how to check them out. What recording I recommend and where you go with it. So if you haven't heard of any of these players, it's now is your chance to learn a little bit. As I often say on this podcast, it's good to get out and listen to players beyond Jimmy Galway and Emmanuel Bayou. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but we know they're fucking class. So, let's big up the guards. First one, yeah, you know who I'm going to start with, but I'm just going to get it out of the way quickly. Magali Mounier. I talk about her all the time. Magali is M-A-G-L-A-L-I, and Mounier is Mosnier, M-O-S-N-I-E-R. Go and listen to her. Obviously, that's no surprise. I can't recommend her enough. I talk about her at least once in every fucking episode at this point um she's got a load of albums out solo chamber music orchestral stuff it's all there um she's not very active in social media so you're not going to find her there she doesn't have her own website she does have an artist page with her agency but that's it she does have an instagram but it's not really an artist instagram and yeah no real promotion stuff which is very rock and roll as well doesn't give a fuck you can obviously search her on youtube and spotify but my top recommendation is her back solo album and it is just entitled back so search for it, Magali Mounier back. It has arrangements of different or, or different pieces for different um, instruments. It's with the chamber orchestra. Um, for example, there's an arrangement of the Italian concerto, the flute sonata in A major that you all might know. It's arranged as a concerto in a different key. Load of stuff on it. It's a really great album. A couple of arias as well from the operas. It's a real mixture of stuff. Beautifully played. But my standout track, if you have to pick one, is track number eight. And that is the middle movement of the famous keyboard concerto initially written in F and now it's arranged in G for flute. Go and listen to track number eight and fucking enjoy it, guys. Drink it in. It is gorgeous. Okay, next up we have two rock and roll 
as fuck flute players. These girls are fucking class. Man, I'm such a fan of them. First up is Irina Stachkinskaya. Um, Stachinskaya. S-T-A-C-H-I-N-S-K-A-Y-A. Stachinskaya. One of the few players to make a living at the minute as a soloist. Okay, she does gig. She does do like orchestral stuff as well. She played with Theodore Karensis' uh, Music I Turn Up. Unbelievable conductor. Fucking insanely good orchestra. He handpicks his players for that. So if she's in that, yeah, it's not bad. Um, she was actually at college doing her like post-grad stuff, like her late, late, late stuff when I had just joined in Paris. So we technically studied together for a little while. Although I think she teaches there now or definitely substitute teaches anyway. Um, fucking blistering technique. Rock and roll as fuck. That girl does whatever the fuck she wants. She plays what she wants. She does what she wants. And you can't fault her to it because it's fucking incredible. Her technique is wild. And she knows it. And she shows it off. And I love it. My advice, go follow her on social media. Don't worry about looking up certain albums or recordings. Go follow her on social media. Because she posts a lot in there. Especially on Instagram. And frequently. She does have Facebook too. And she posts a lot there too. So go find Irina Satchkinskaya on social media. You can stick her into YouTube too, but it's better on social media. And if you want my favourite personal video, there is a recording of her playing the Karg Alert Shakun. It was posted on the 22nd of July, 2022. So if you can go back to that, you'll find it. So just soak her, soak it up. Follow her and soak up all the content in there. And the next flutist is not a million miles off in that kind of mould. It's a lady called, or a girl called Sophia Neugebauer. She was principal flute in the Lucerne Orchestra for a while, and she's now playing with Basil as her principal flute for a while. But again, she's done loads of shit, loads of recordings, all kinds of stuff. But go to your social media, especially Instagram. Um, she has videos on her website too. If you Google her name, you'll find it. Uh, Sophia Neugebauer, N-E-U-G-E-B-A-U-E-R. Um, Sophia with a Z at the start. Um, go on your website and just see all the fucking videos man she rocks but go to your instagram if you have the chance she's also very funny makes a lot of uh comedy content around flute play as well just does whatever the fuck she wants she just rocks out she's the perfect modern flute player really go check it out and the last two are fucking the highest of the high in quality here the best of the best the fucking creme de la creme of their fields first is um sophie Cherrier. So she is the queen of contemporary music. Contemporary classical style of music, you know what I mean. Uh, modern composers, she is the fucking best. She was actually the first female flute professor at the Paris Conservatoire, the CNSM, back in the 90s. Um, she plays with the Ensemble Anticontemporain in Paris. Unbelievable um, contemporary music ensemble. She's fucking incredible. Now, for my record, she's done shitloads of stuff. She's incredibly renowned and incredibly respected in the field. Yeah, she's the best. I think a lot of people would accept that she's the best for contemporary music. But her standout work for me, she had an album out in 2013, just the titles of the composers. Um, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Music and all those places. Track number four on it is the Martin Ballade. And that's the one to listen to. One of my favourite pieces as well. If you're into spe- uh, contemporary music, that's the one to go for. And if you're not, go listen to that one track. It's only a couple of minutes long. Tell me what you think. I think it's fucking, it's menacing and it's dirty and it's visceral. It's fucking superb music. So, she's the best in terms of contemporary music. We're going to go to the other extreme of music now and we're going to go to Baroque music and Baroque flute playing. Now, this isn't a subject I know incredibly well. I've never studied Baroque flute. I don't want to study it or play it. It's way too fucking hard, but I do listen to a good bit of it. I know a reasonable amount, more than your average person. 
and the queen, the undoubted queen of Baroque flute, and if you ask any fucking flute player about this, there's only one ever answer, it is Rachel Brown. So, if, you do, if you're a flute player and you don't know the name Rachel Brown, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. Or your education system should be ashamed of themselves. She should be fucking essential study on history of flute. She's literally done it all. You Google her name, she's done fucking everything. Time to every mountain in classical music you can imagine, she's done the lot. You know, she's a great academic soloist, chamber musician, orchestral musician. She's written books. She's done a lot. She's recorded so much stuff. Um, so there's a lot of stuff, but if I'm going to have to pick one thing for you guys to go listen to, she when she does quants, she's famous for how she does quants as music, there's an album called Quants Flute Sonatas, um, and it was released in 1997. It's on Spotify as well. It's all fucking class, but if you have to pick one track in particular, go to number 23, the slow movement from the 273rd sonata. Quants was a busy boy. But go listen to that. It's the middle movement. It's in G major. The sonata is in G major. The middle movement isn't. Um, yeah. Treat yourself to all those ladies. Oh, baby. They are special. Okay. So we are done, guys. We are finished with this episode of the podcast. I'm just going to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, give you some resources and what I found researching this podcast episode. It was a lot of fun. And it's something I'm going to dive into a lot more in the future. But I hope this opened the door for female flute pairs and got you guys getting to know of it. Um, if you want some re- further reading or you want to dive into the subject yourself, the first resource is Pulani Flute. So that's pulaniflute.com, P-U-A-L-A-N-I flute.com. She's also on social media. It's a card called Nicole. She explains the origin of the name Pulani Flute and all that on her website, but she has an in- incredible amount of articles. She has written herself on blog- or blogs and articles and resources on female flute players, female composers, always from historical, sociological, anthropological points of view, incredibly intelligent woman who's got so many resources. I, I dived down on her website the other day when I was on the train to Hamburg and I was on it for four hours straight. I had a fucking blast on it and it inspired a lot of this stuff. So go to that, go check out her social media. She posts a lot of her stuff on social media and posts like little clips and shorten things about it as well to sort of entice you in. Go do that. If you find her, tell her I said hi. Um, next johnwyan.com this was not a website i was familiar with someone recommended this he has a list of orchestral players up there which he's no longer updating i don't know why but he's trying to collect the historic list of every orchestra and their principal flutes for a long time so you can go and check that out there's a lot of other resources on there too and the last one is the dunn foundation i hope it's done is how it's pronounced it's d-o-n-n-e that's how we'd say it in ireland but i don't know how it's pronounced anywhere else i've only seen it written down um the Dawn Foundation, um, D-O-N-N-E, go search it. They have the big list, the big list they call it, and it's the big list of women composers, which they're always updating. And yeah, they'll give you everything else with it. So fuck me. Glad we have rifled through that. This fucking Dr. Pepper, man. I've got a funny video coming out tomorrow. This tells you when I've recorded this. I've got a funny video coming out in the morning. Well, it's not the morning for you guys. It was two days ago. I'm talking in the past. <laughs> I feel like I'm pissed about the Dr. Pepper I drank last week. Fuck me. I was buzzed off that, lads. I recorded for two and a half hours last week because I had to reshoot and I was fucking flying off it. It was great. I nearly said the C word. Sorry, mum. Actually, my mum wouldn't mind, but my granny would fucking kill me and she's watching. I am so sorry, Nana. I know. She keeps trying to get me elocution lessons. I ring her. I ring my grandmother every week to talk about the podcast because my grandfather loves it. He's watching. And my grandmother, as soon as she picks up the phone, she's like, can't believe you talking like that. That's disgusting. Who who brought you up? So I am. I'm really sorry for it. 
Well, it was her idea to mention the Kick the Pope bands. And last week's episode was her idea as well, which was a good episode, so you can thank her for that. You can't thank her, she's not on social media. <laughs> she's definitely not on social media, my grandmother. She still tries to change channel with her glasses case. Anyway, fuck, I'm, I'm away here. Anyway, guys, thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, You know what I'm going to say. If you did listen, leave a comment, let me know what you thought of it, or just let me know, drop by and say hi. Go onto my social media. I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram. I'm nearly hitting a 1,000 followers on Instagram. It's going to be fucking class when I do. I'm going to plan something special. I've got a couple of big episodes planned. I've got a, so, I've got a fucking brilliant 10th episode for you guys. You'll not believe how much fun that's going to be. Um, So everything's flying at the minute. The podcast's flying. The numbers are going up. The social media's going up. I want this trajectory to keep going. So I don't mind if you guys... I don't really care how you interact with the podcast to help me. The main thing you can do at this point is just like it and comment if you get the chance. Tell other people about it. Share it in your stories or tell one friend about it. Say, oh, you might find this interesting and just let them know. If they click into it and they listen to 60 seconds or something... And they, they'll either get hooked and they'll enjoy it or they won't. And that's grand as well. But tell people about it, please, because that's how it spreads. And that's what gets me going somewhere. So share it on your Facebooks as well if you can. Or just tell one fucking person. And if you do, come and tell me so I can show my appreciation for you. Um, more people reached out last week than ever. So it was fucking gorgeous talking to you all. Uh, what else do I need to say here? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, the toilet, blah, blah, blah. I talk a lot of shite sometimes. I, I mean, read my own comments. Anyway, listen. Uh... Have a lovely weekend. It is the weekend now. Have a lovely weekend. Uh, go listen to some Spice Girls, my favourite band. Go listen to some Spice Girls and enjoy your newfound appreciation for women. Bit of fucking girl power. Up the girls. Cheerio, guys. I didn't know what to say there. Goodbye. Slam Mwah.